Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, brought to you by Women in Data. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence, and it's my pleasure to be your host for these weekly interviews where we share inspiring stories, thought leaderships, and discussions to help you excel in your data career. At Women in Data, our mission is to increase diversity in data careers, and we do this through awareness, education, and empowerment. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Christelle Mamboziga, Responsible AI Committee Member and Senior Global Success Manager for Cisco. With 15 years experience, she has worked in multiple industries and worn multiple hats before discovering her superpower in helping global technology companies in their growth, transformation, and innovation strategies. Christelle believes it's imperative to make AI accessible to everyone and to implement policies and regulations in the private and public space to prevent the effects of discriminating historical data and harmful algorithms at scale. In today's episode, Christelle shares her story of how she found her voice as an immigrant woman of color in the tech industry and how we all have a role to play in creating responsible AI. Christelle is a powerhouse and is paving the way for more voices to be heard in AI and is truly an inspiration to all of us. Christelle, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. I am so happy to have you here, and I know we're in store for a fun conversation. We've been chatting before the show, and we've been having a lot of fun, so we're like, okay, we got to jump on and hit record because we got a lot of good material to cover. So welcome, and thanks for coming on the show. And Sadie, thank you very much for having me. I cannot wait to start our conversation. And by the way, I think I told you already in the past, but I love your first name. It's so unique. Um, so yes, I look forward to um, to have this fun conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Well, we must have bonded over that. We met, had the opportunity to meet at the Venture Beat Conference, and yes. when it was instantly attracted to your necklace, which uh, will point everyone to the website because <laughs> you have it on the website, and I think it's worthwhile that everyone go look and hear the story behind it. Um, but yes, we both have maybe girl crushes on each other's name because. I'm making up that yours is a bit feminine finesse with a little bit of spice. And I think it just represents um, you perfectly, which probably shout out to our parents uh, for doing a good job of, <laughs> of naming us and knowing who we were before we were came into this world. <laughs> Absolutely. And it definitely comes with a lot of pressure. You know, when you have a, a fantastic name, you have to live up to it. So uh, very proud of uh, how unique my name can sound. Um, being well, seeing Chris, having Christelle as a French first name and then Mambo Ziga as both African names from different regions definitely add a lot of spice, as you said, in uh, into my name. And, and and Sadie, I think we talked about the origin of it as well, which was a, a very exciting and interesting. Yeah, my um, I didn't realize the meaning was princess, and I think you're right. It's it's made us live up to <laughs> a meaning behind it, which is great. It, it it causes us to stretch a little further beyond ourselves. And I always think like having a vision for yourself is key, right? It, it allows oh, us course. to strive to to live up to you know the legend and the destiny that we each create for our own lives. So you are on 100%. a path. And already creating an incredible legend and story just by the work that you're doing of being a female in tech and leading the way in so many ways in responsible AI. But I know you didn't start off in a tech company. So would love to hear a little bit more about 
your transition into that space and some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Sure, absolutely. So I'm coming from France. I was actually born and raised in France and I used to live in Paris. So as a lot of Parisian women, I was very much into beauty, cosmetics and fashion. So I actually started my journey in the, in the, in the luxury industry. Um, I worked in that industry for maybe two years in total uh, as being part of um, the sales business uh, department. And that's actually uh, what got me into another company who sent me to the U.S. and who uh, allows me to stay in the U.S. Um, I met my husband a few years ago, and when I met him, he was an engineer, and he's still an engineer. But I didn't know what he was doing, and it took me years to figure out what he was doing. So he's currently working in, in one of the FANG. And being based today, no longer in France, but in California, in the Silicon Valley, all my friends are also working in the tech industry. So not only my husband, but all my friends kept on telling me about the perks and the financial incentives to actually join the tech industry. So when nine years ago now, uh, it's been nine years for me in the tech industry, uh, Cisco Meraki contacted me on LinkedIn um, to be responsible for the sales and business development of the Canadian market. It was a dream come true. So that's really how I joined the tech industry, not coming from a technical background, not coming from an engineering background, but really coming from the business side um, and coming from a background in sales and business development. Obviously, um, and, and that's still where I am today. So even though I am now more focused toward uh, responsible AI, um, and, and I've been, I'm part of responsible AI committee at Cisco as an example, I'm really still focusing on the business value and the business opportunity of responsible AI for any companies um, who are leveraging artificial intelligence as a whole. I think your story is great and needed to be heard by so many is that you can come from this business background and transition into tech and dive deeper and deeper into it, right? It, you know, you transition into customer success, but now are in responsible AI and who knows what's next. The journey continued to unfold, right? Um, but I'm curious, you know, for a lot of people within the tech industry, there's a standard to how it looks, right? You typically think of a white male in a t-shirt or a hoodie and jeans, right? Probably the image that comes to mind for a lot of people. And so how do you find your voice and that sense of belonging in an industry when people around you may not look like you, you know, especially being an immigrant woman of color in particular, like, I'm guessing you're not seeing a lot of others who look like you in this space. So how do you continue to find your voice in this industry and, and break down barriers and lead the way? That's an amazing question. And that's a, also a very big question. And I agree with you. I am diametrically opposite to what you would envision as being someone working in the tech industry. So I usually say that a black woman is diametrically opposite to a white man. It, and it ha there is nothing behind it. It's just the way it is. Uh, we are 
opposite from a gender perspective, from a skin color perspective, from also all the different experiences that we, that we go through. So um, while moving in the tech industry, I, I really uh, must admit that it took me a while to celebrate my uniqueness. As, as you said, an, an immigrant woman, so as a French Black woman, uh, proud of not only my French culture, again, that's where I was born and raised, and you were talking earlier about your trip to Kenya. I haven't even been in Africa yet, so... My, my culture is definitely French. Uh, my accent is French also still, even after uh, 12 years in the U.S. But I'm also very proud of my Congolese heritage, uh, which was uh, passed down to me by my parents and my family and relatives uh, coming from the Congo DRC. Um, so I, I, it took me a while to really celebrate um, who I was, um, including also my ability to speak multiple languages. So I used to see, and especially when I moved to the tech industry again, I moved to Cisco, Meraki. I didn't even know what an access point was. I didn't know anything about networking. So it took me a lot of training and be and rest assured that companies will train you. Um, so again, you don't need to be coming from a technical background to uh, move into the tech industry. So I used to see all those attributes um, as challenges, challenges to fit in challenges to be accepted, and also challenges to be taken seriously. So I used to be actually sometimes told by some of my peers and some of my leaders also that with my French accent, I would never be able to climb the ladder and I will never be able to thrive in corporate America. Um, and those people used to say that people did not understand what I was saying. And I was like, I, I find it odd because I feel like people do understand what I say. So for the longest time, some of those comments shut me down and um, they buried my voice. And um, I, in that journey and, and through that process, I, I used to be also told that I had been hired because of my French abilities, French speaking abilities and that's just where I could, uh, you know, grow my career. Um, and that, you know, just working in English with customers or with my peers was just not something that I was capable of. So again, my voice, my voice got shut down a lot. And, and as I said, got even buried um, during those, uh, those episodes of, uh, of my journey. And, and it actually took uh, another manager and uh, Lalita Venkatesh. Um, I want to say her name because she definitely changed, changed the trajectory of my life and my career. And she's also another woman immigrant. She's the one who helped me get my voice back. She told me when I joined our team, um, and, and it was in mergers and acquisition, she told me how valuable my voice was. She told me that my opinions mattered. And she told me that I had been hired on the team because I was worth it. I deserved it. And all my perspectives were thought assault. So Lalita really helped me find my voice back. Obviously, uh, through this, pro this growing process, 
Um, I also read multiple books from several authors that I like to mention. So Brené Brown uh, really helped me um, reconciliate the fact that it was okay. It was okay to have an accent. It was okay not to be perfect. It was okay. And, and the gift of imperfection was a very, very big help for me. Adam Grant also with uh, his different books um, called Think Again and Originals, because I am also very much original and I want to stay this way. Give and Take, um, Mind the Heart, one of my favorite author uh, with her book called The Memo and Write Within, How Can You how can you be right if you're if you're not right within? And last but not least, a book that I like to recommend to some of my mentees from Laura Wong, uh, which is called Edge: How to Turn Adversity into Advantage. Obviously, all those books, um, and last but not least, the Power Book from Jeffrey Pfeiffer. And I'm, I'm giving a lot of names, but I, I really want to share, uh, you know, what helped me to to get my voice back. So all those books were also, you know, very good help for me in my journey uh, of finding my voice back. So I would say it was not an easy road. And yes, I did suffer in the beginning from a lot of imposter syndrome, but it took just one conversation with the right manager, the right leader at the right time um, to realize that my, my, voice, my voice mattered and that I was worth it. Thank you for sharing that story with us because I think it's something so many of us can relate to times in our lives where we felt put in a box and have lost our voice and just the power of having someone say, you matter, you worth it, you're worth it. Your, your voice is meant to be heard, right? Just, mm -hmm. They're simple words and phrases, but we each need to be reminded of that. And I think it's I such a good reminder to one, tell ourselves it, right? And then two, <laughs> if we're leaders and managers to make sure we're empowering our team and empowering others to tell it. And yeah, appreciate all the references of books because it's not something we can hear only once, right? We have to hear it and hear it again. Um, so exactly. we'll definitely include some of those books in the show notes. Today now though, you're making sure others' voice is getting heard in an area that's so important in, in AI, right? To make sure yes. there's representation. And I'm so excited about the work that you're doing. So what led to the inspiration to get into AI ethics? And what was that like aha moment when like, yes, I need to be doing work in this space? Sure, absolutely. So two main, um, two main aha moments and two main entry points um, were actually critical for me in moving to AI. So the first one was when last year I was studying at Stanford doing the LEAP program, uh, which is an executive program. And as part of my assignments, uh, I had to innovate at Cisco. I had to innovate within Cisco. And I, I decided to develop a business process to really better streamline all customer-facing functions. So I, I am, and I'm still in customer success, by the way, I'm wearing two hats. Um, so I, I wanted to find a, pro a business process to streamline all customer facing functions from support, customer success, including also renewals and services. And this business process needed to be automated. It needed to be automated. It needed to, to scale. It needed to help accelerate um, the decision making process through additional insights 
And it needed also to be more predictable. So by looking around and really thinking about how could I get the, this business process work, I realized that AI was the key. Uh, so I started to work with data scientists and I took classes myself on artificial intelligence, introductory classes, just to better understand how it was work, how it was working, and how I could uh, leverage artificial intelligence for those specific innovations. So that's the first entry point. Um, the second one was as I was learning about artificial intelligence, I was hearing more and more about some of the challenges and some of the. Uh, unintended consequences around artificial intelligence. And, and so the other side of the coin um, on the ethical and responsible artificial uh, intelligence side. And I actually, through those learnings, I realized that, well, in, in some of the tools that I had been usually uh, and heavily using, especially during the pandemic, where we all, um, all of a sudden, had to work remotely. In all, in some of the tools that I was leveraging uh, within my corporate environment, I was not necessarily having the best user experience. So some of those collaboration tools, uh, which were at the very early stage of their development uh, life cycle, were not representing me, were not representing my hair, we're not representing myself speaking English with a French accent, with a French first name, African last name. So from a, a background perspective, virtual background, from a speech to text a translation perspective, I was not just getting the best user experience. And not only uh, that was my entry door to the responsible AI committee and the work that I'm doing, because I actually reached out to the teams who had been developed uh, developing um, those tools. And I told them, well, you need to be aware that actually when I'm wearing my hair curly in, in an Afro, I'm not represented the way I would expect to be. Um, so that needs to be solved because I'm sure around the world, I'm not the only one wearing that you know curly Afro kinky hair. So I'm not the only one experiencing it. So you need to do something and we need to be better to do better. So this issue obviously gets solved um, after multiple um, feature enhancement and so on and so forth. But that really was, for me, one of the catalyst points um, telling me that, yes, I really wanted to make sure that the product that we were developing um, through AI were actually meeting the needs of everyone and that we would not also keep on perpetuating some of the, the, the biases um, which had been experienced and which are still experienced, but which had been ex historically experienced. Um, you know, AI is learning from the data that we, and AI and the machine uh, are learning from the data that we inject. Um, so we need to make sure that the data are not only a representation of what happened in the past, but a representation of what we want the future to look like for everyone. Uh, we have this uh, ability, opportunity, and responsibility to make sure that the next development of our AI products are really going to include everyone. So those are some of the reasons why and, and how I actually got into AI, and, and it became 
you know, just my 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 newfound uh, passion and a uh, passion, and that's where I want to continue to work moving forward. Well, I have to say, I am so happy you found your voice because that allowed you to speak up and say, hey, this is not working for people like me. And I think we need so many more individuals in the beginning stages of the development, right, where we're able to make those changes and share, hey, this is not how we want to move forward with what we're going to put into production. And we have an opportunity to change it. Like you said, not just to re-encode the past, but to create the future for how we want it to be. And so one, thank you for doing that. Thank you for speaking up and sharing and making a change one algorithm at a time. Um, But there's still a lot more challenges that we're facing within AI. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges right now in regards to how we're making AI a bit more responsible or how we're not making it responsible? I think for me, I see two main challenges and two um, main focus of areas of the work that I'm doing. So challenge, the, challenge, the first challenge that I see is the fact that I've, now we are at a point where uh, multiple companies and not necessarily tech companies, even though I believe that maybe now all tech, all companies consider themselves as tech companies with all the uh, the technologies that they, they leverage on a daily basis, um, all companies have been able to create principles, AI principles or responsible AI principles. Um, Those principles are great. Those principles are usually pretty much the same across the board um, around security, privacy, transparency, accountability, fairness, reliability, and inclusiveness. So those are great principles. I think that one of the biggest challenges that I see is how do we actually move from those principles into practice? How do we put into practice those great principles that we are advertising um, day in and day out? Um, I think that in order for us to be able to do that, one, there is a question of having the right resources right financial resources, um, the right investment, and the right focus uh, to really make those principles uh, work and to execute on those. Um, There is a need also to find the right talent coming from multiple backgrounds. um, And I'm really thinking about the full spectrum of diversity, but also coming from multiple disciplines. So yes, you, you need to have good data scientists to be able to create and develop those algorithms. You need to have, obviously, those good product developers who are going to uh, build uh, those products and uh, create the right features depending on the use cases. You need people from the business side, the legal side. But there is also a need uh, for other disciplines to be part of the conversations. And I don't see those disciplines as of yet everywhere being leveraged. And there is a very good um, post on LinkedIn by the founder of All Tech is Human. I'm a big fan. His name is David uh, Ryan Polgar. And in his very recent post, he was talking about the need for psychologists, attorneys, uh, sociologists, artists, designers, social workers, activists. And, And I want to add maybe two additional disciplines to the people who are going to contribute in making AI better for everyone, historians, because again, 
AI is taking a lot of data coming uh, and a lot of historical data, but we need historians also to be part of the conversation, I believe. We need linguists. And I know that some of them are being used, but not enough because some people need to understand a French accent uh, from an English speaker with a French first name and an African last name. That, that We need linguists for that. And last but not least, economists, um, because there's, of, of course, a lot of economic impact uh, when we build those algorithms. So I would say that we need more inclusiveness and more diversity of uh, disciplines and backgrounds um, to solve some of the biggest ch uh, challenges and to solve also some of the technical limitations um, in AI, knowing that AI is impacted and is going to continue to impact our societies in general. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I see what you're talking about within responsible AI, just in diversity in the tech industry as a whole of Yes, we have principles or we have values on our website and commitment, but how do we move this now into a bit more practice? And I'm wondering if these are these two problems of responsible AI and just diversity in the industry are, are part of the same coin, right? Two sides of the same coin. And I love what you're saying, too, of like we need to expand diversity from all spectrums, particularly in AI and the diversity of thought within the industry. So... Historians is a great ad. I've never heard someone add that before. And I think it's a good call out of people to include in the conversation. But where do we start our work to include more of these individuals that you've discussed in the conversation? How, how do we as fortunate ones who work in this space and have knowledge of AI make sure that we're being inclusive and, and bringing the right people into these conversations? Great question. So there is one additional angle that I didn't mention around, and which is really the work that I am focusing on, uh, which is really to make sure that business leaders have a good understanding that responsible AI is not something which is nice to do or which is good for corporate branding or uh, PR or which is just a good uh, check the box type of exercise. My work is really focused around the business values and the business opportunities of responsible AI. So once all business leaders will have this understanding that this is going to, this is a generate a, a revenue generating activity. This is not a cost and this is not a marketing exercise. This is a way actually to uh, solve some of your, um, you know, HR problems when it comes to attract and retain talent Gen Z and millennials want to work in a purposeful company. How can you be less purposeful than by focusing on building a better world for everyone through responsible AI? I don't know any additional example. Um, responsible AI is a great way to make better products who are going to actually meet the needs of everyone. Um, there is an opportunity to increase the security and the privacy of the, the products which are being developed. So, there is really this area where we need to make sure that those business leaders who have the funds to invest um, to really see the business value and opportunities of uh, our AI. Uh, I believe that um, to make sure that we engage everyone and we bring more awareness to all those different um, disciplines that I have mentioned, which are not necessarily technical or the one that you would expect 
uh, being part of the conversation, there needs to be more awareness. Um, the information is available everywhere, but I think that with the plethora, the plethora of information, it's really hard also to find, um, you know, the right one at the right time and to be focused in, you know, finding the information which is going to really be relevant to what you're looking for. But there are, you know, informations which are good starting points for those um, subject matter experts with, who, do, uh, who do not have a technical background. So as an example, going on Netflix, watching Coded Bias, um, which is a great documentary featuring one of my shiro, uh, Dr. Joy uh, Buolamini, was also for me uh, a source of revelation. I realized that there were so many things that I could do and that I could change and I could become a change agent to solve some of those problems. And I really believe that it starts with some awareness and um, some better dedicated and targeted information being uh, dispersed and distributed across a wider audience outside of the technology um, experts. I think that we need more diverse voices, as, I, as we discussed, and which means more women, more people of color, so more Black people, more uh, Latinx, and Latinx is a culture, is not a race, <laughs> so, but more people from a Latinx background, uh, more people from an Asian background, more Native American, so more people of color, more non-binary, more LGBTQ uh, people as well, um, to be focused on working at developing the right algorithms, but also at implementing some of the principles and uh, uh, acting as pretty much the safeguards uh, to make sure that those unintended consequences that we've been experiencing do not keep on happening. So one, awareness is going to be key and two, intentionally focusing on attracting more diverse voices uh, across the full spectrum of diversity, that makes sense. 100%. We, you're preaching to the choir here, and I'm singing your praises on this. Um, but I want to think of this, let's say we can wave our magic wand, right? And we mm -hmm. now have all these diverse voices in the industry. What excites you the most then about like the future of AI and, and what we can do with these capabilities? Sure. So what excites me right now is all those uh, programs, all those organizations who are actually focusing on educating the younger generations, the younger generations. So AI for All, as an example, has programs available all across the U.S. to really focus on educating um, children from middle high school um, to um, college uh, levels. You have Next Tech Girls, you have Black Girls Code. There are so many today uh, organizations and programs available for, again, the future, our future, uh, which is represented um, in the, the younger generations. From a business side, and I'm still coming, I'm going to come from a business angle. You know, when you, you, you look at some of the numbers from PWC as an example, I'm, I'm excited about the market growth valuation of artificial intelligence in general. We are still talking about 
a $15.7 trillion market by 2030. So there's a lot of money to be uh, made in artificial intelligence, uh, which is going to represent a lot of opportunities to create jobs, to create, uh, to fund some of those organizations, um, and a lot of responsibility to, to, to do it the right way. So that's what uh, ex- excites me the most. Well, it's exciting future, and I hope that our magic wand wave comes true so that we can all realize those capabilities and have a voice in this exciting space as we are creating the future, not only for ourselves, but as you mentioned, the next generation of leaders to come after us. So thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and stories with us. We always do like to have a little fun on the show, though, and end with some rapid-fire questions. So if you're ready, we can jump into the rapid-fire questions. I am. Bring it on. (laughs) What song do you currently have on repeat? Ooh, okay. So... Can I give one or two? Can I do? I, I like to break the rules. I like to give two. two songs. Okay. So I am a big fan of Afrobeats, and I love one song in particular from Rema, R E M A. He's a Nigerian singer, and I love his voice. And the song that I like to listen to and repeat is called Ginger Me. Love song, very smooth and soft. And that's perfect for me because I'm highly energetic and I need something to kind of. Uh, uh, to to balance and to even my full energy with some uh, sub songs, I'm also learning Portuguese. Um, speaking multiple languages is very another is another passion of mine. So I'm learning Portuguese. So I love this artist. Um, I don't know if he's from Brazil or if he's from uh, Capo Verde. Anyway, uh, his name is Ier Sais, and he has a song that I love, which is called Dream Girls. And you have multiple remix. You have a, bra- a, breeze, uh, a remix with Brazil or Brazilian remix. You have a global remix with other, uh, with Sean Paul and Davido. So those are the two songs that I like to listen to on repeat right now. Ginger Me and Dream Girls. They are very good. Favorite place you've traveled? I haven't gone yet to Congo DRC. And I'm sure that when I will have the, the, the opportunity to go, that will become my favorite place. Um, but so far, my f- favorite place is Puerto Rico, uh, which I had a chance to visit several times. And I just fell in love with the beauty of the island, but also the people. And I visited San Juan, I visited Guayanabo, I visited Bayamon, I love reggaeton. Two weeks ago, I went to uh, the, the, the concert of Daddy Yankee. So uh, Puerto Rico is my favorite place uh, to travel right now. But hopefully when I go to Congo DRC, I will say that maybe Congo DRC. Happiness is? Happiness is a deliberate choice which requires daily practice. In the next five years, I hope to? I hope to have influenced um, the responsible AI, uh, the responsible AI world. Uh, I hope to have contributed to making the world a better place and also making other people successful in their journey as well. And last to me, curiosity is? 
curiosity is my second name. Uh, curiosity is my <laughs> biggest value. Curiosity is a quality that I nurture personally and that I also seek in others. I like curious people. Me too. That's supposed to be why we get along so well. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, if people want to stay connected with you and learn more about your work, what's the best way for them to do that? I am a big fan on LinkedIn and uh, I've tried other social media, but I don't know. LinkedIn is the best place to reach out to me. So just look for me by my name, first name, Christelle Mamboziga, and happy to connect with you on LinkedIn and to continue the conversation. I have also a personal website where I highlight one of my favorite necklaces that I'm not wearing today because it's too hot. But um, you can connect with me and find me on my social, on my personal website as well. Beautiful. Well, we'll be sure to include those in the show notes so everyone can get connected. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Sadie, for having me. It was such a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. And a big thank you to our listeners. Remember to stay curious and keep learning. And we will catch you next time. Have a great day, everyone. If you enjoyed today's conversation on the Data Bytes podcast, we welcome you to continue the conversation and join our global community by becoming a member at womenindata.org. All Data Bytes listeners receive 20% off using the promo code DATABYTES20. 